This is Beyond the Bell Tower, where an elite group of North Carolina State University students give us a behind-the-scenes look at their steps to success and show us how they attain even their lofty goals. These students, who are in the top 10% of the country, are active in student support services at NC State, a nationally recognized program designed to provide support for low-income, first-generation college students. Nationally, this population has an 11% graduation rate within six years. The student support services students surpass that rate each year and go on to become doctors, dentists, accountants, and engineers. They work at Google, Apple, and the NCAA. They have earned PhDs in Ivy League colleges. These students go well beyond the bell tower to reach this level of success. Hey, this is Sarah Wright from Student Support Services with you on Beyond the Bell Tower. We are so excited to have with us one of our most famous alumnus from SSS at NC State University. If you want to achieve the impossible and want to know how to do it, Jamal is going to share that with us now. Thanks, Jamal. Should we introduce ourselves? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you go first. Okay. I'm Jamal Moss. Um recent graduate of NC State. Woo, woo, go pack. Um, when did you graduate? I graduated in 2015 with a major in biological sciences um, with a concentration in neurobiology. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then where are you from? I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, originally. Um, but I've lived in Virginia and Raleigh and now in Durham. Good old Durham, Bull City. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're going to go to Duke. Yes, so and I will be a, a dude. blue devil. Yeah, a pet. I mean, a wolf and a devil. A wolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bubble. A oh. bubble. <laughs> so then, where are you? Um, what are you getting your master's in? I'll be getting a master's in bioethics and science policy. Okay, so what's that? Right. What does that mean? Know. That's literally what everybody asks me. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm joking. <laughs> bioethics. It's going to focus. Um, more so on the medical side of ethics, such as euthanation, um, items such as childbirth, when you consider someone a human. Um, you know, that's a very good yeah. question, right? Is, is that it like before s- contraception for some people who are religious? It's a spiritual thing. So it's like your soul. When I was uh, shadowing a class, one of the girls like, I forgot what religion she was, but or is, but she was stating that up. To like a after so many days, that's when the soul enters into the body, and I was like, "Wow, I've never heard of that before." Oh, so like the the uh, fertilized egg goes yes. into the the soul mm-hmm. goes into it. So, after but three it's even days. after like even after it's been fertilized, it's like it's she was like two or three months afterwards. That's when the soul enters the body, and wow. I was just like, "Ooh." That's deep. Yes. Now, will they go into stem cell research? So they have a lot of different, they do artificial intelligence, I'm assuming, probably STEM. Oh, that's Um, a huge thing. That's like one of the top industries. They're doing that. That's their new thing. I think that's going to be pretty big. Yeah. That's going to be pretty cool. So what do they do there? I don't know. Most of it, so most of of it is a lot of research. So they have a lot of um, centers that they partner with um, alongside Duke. Um, and then also the lady who's over the program, she used to work in um, President Barack Obama's um, Science and Ethics Committee, I believe. Oh, um, so okay. very close connections. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just saw an article on that and Bill Gates said that's like one of the top five areas. AI. Mm-hmm. I believe it. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Even with all these self-driving cars, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Like when does it? It's a little fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. Those lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, like, where's the personal responsibility? Or, right. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting, though, is only 1% of first-generation students actually pursue a Ph.D. 1%? Yes. What is that the 99% is doing? Not getting a Ph.D. <laughs> wow, 1%. Yeah. You- more people do, uh, more first-gen students do go for the MBA. Okay. So, so at least some little, type of graduate school. Um, That's interesting. 1%. Not, yeah. You know, I, I guess I could kind of see that a lot of people, once you reach college and you graduated from college, you're like, you know what? I've done it. Like, this is what my family wanted. This is what I wanted. I'm mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Which is respectable. Mm-hmm. Totally So what's motivating you to get your graduate degree? I would say it's probably a few things. Um, This past year with the um, elections that have been going on um, and just the whole talk of, I guess, not supporting science in a sense, not using the information that we've been collecting to help us create new legislation um, or any PACs or treaties or anything like that. especially when it comes to issues such as climate change. Um, Mm, It's just really interesting to see how for so long we've been making great progress and then we get, you know, to this year with this current president and everything just like stopped. It just halts. So I would say that's probably one of my biggest factors. Um, And then my also factor, the other factor is um, I want to learn more so about policy. I figured like, like they said, if if you want to change it, you learn about the policy. And so, I want to learn how to implement and influence the policy and and change it if mm-hmm. needed. No, for sure. So what do you think about the the connection between health and then the recent um, budget with regard to cutting uh, food stamps uh, and um, <clears throat> Medicaid and Medicare? I think that's tragic. Um, I mean, is that an ethics I, thing? Or? I believe it's an ethics thing, yeah. right? That's somebody's eating their nutrition, that's their food. Um, and even in healthcare, that's an ethics thing as well. Um, some people may see healthcare as a privilege, but it's not like if you're born anywhere, just being a human, you deserve to have access to healthcare. Doctors yeah. make promises that they will treat every human being um, accordingly, regardless of if you have insurance or not. Um, so that's just, I think that goes, that says a lot about who doctors and what doctors are supposed to represent, you know, they're supposed to be this non-biased person who is just looking at you as a human being and wanting to treat you and not really care about, you know, your politics or where you come from or things like that. Um, But I think it's tragic that we have these budget cuts and I feel like for the most part, a lot of these people don't really know how that'll affect a lot of the people who depend on those programs. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't have to deal with it every day. Um, so they just figure, you know, we'll just cut it in in the long run. You know, this is what's best. This will will bring us more dollars to get the budget down and and not really taking into that human perspective, um, which I should be doing. Right. Now, were you or your family on the different social services? Yeah. So growing up, all of my family was on Medicaid, um, and we got food stamps. That's how my mom you know, got our immunization shots for school. You know, that's how she fed us every day. Um, and that's how she maintained our household. I mean, our household. And she wasn't ashamed of that because um, she worked very hard. And I think that's one thing 
that politicians don't take into account. They think that people are just living off of these things because they want to and that they don't want to work. And that's not the case. A lot of people just need that extra support. I mean, minimum wage is what, seven twenty five? Like what? What does that buy? <laughs> yeah. What does that buy? And during that time, what? Yeah. A few years ago, what it just got, it was six fifteen. So, yeah. How do you do that when in North Carolina, what to maintain a one or two bedroom apartment, you need to be making at least fifteen dollars. Yeah. And everything seems to be rising except minimum wage and wages, just period. So, um, it's frightening knowing that people could be without homes, people could be without food, and it more so for me, it's the kids. Like, as an adult, you have the means to do what you, you know, need to do for the most part to get that, but as a child, what do you do, you know? Mm-hmm. Healthcare, that's the most important time when you should be getting those immunization shots or when you should be getting fed right. There've been plenty of research that states that, you know, eating healthy, of course, or eating the right foods when you're young will determine how you will grow up or determine how your body will develop. Yeah, I mean, because if you're not healthy, like think of even being on campus, it's like how much you needed food, yeah, a safe place to sleep. Yes, everything all like of that. that stuff. Like you can't even being a college student, you can't even like you need so much food, like just sitting <laughs> <laughs> studying here. Yeah. Like, man, like I, I feel like every few hours your brain is like on eat like, all right, let's let's get some more food. So if it wasn't mm-hmm. for dining halls, if it wasn't for food plans, you know, and some of the, the students on this campus don't even have that. And they still depend on food stamps and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't yeah. know. I just wonder how it affect them. Yeah, I know. That's actually what I'm afraid of is what the cuts mean. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're the population that already has to work to yeah. be eligible. So I don't know if that'll right. actually That makes no impact. sense to me. Yeah. You have to be not. working, but then you can't make too much. But then if you're not working... You got to get a job to get it. So it's yeah. like, what What am I supposed to do? <laughs> what yeah. am I supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that they have to work 10, uh, 20 hours a week. So then you have that balancing act mm-hmm. of can you actually manage 20 hours right. a week with everything else going on? Mm. But is that 20 hour worth getting an extra $160 right. for the whole month? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Not for like a week, but for the whole month. Yeah. Like, how does that work out? Yeah. To get food stamps as a college student, you have to put a lot of effort. (sighs) I mean, they're not living the high life. Right. (laughs) I don't know what they think we're doing down here. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not a high life. Right. Right. Now, what did you do on campus to get resources? At least in, in my journey, when I started off at a community college and thank goodness, uh, the Pell Grant covered all of my expenses, um, so that was great. And I lived at home at the time, so I didn't have to pay housing. But I got to get an associate's degree essentially for free. You know, that's mm-hmm. something I didn't have to pay for when I got to state. That's when I had to start getting loans. Um, and then even just trying to understand loans can can be kind of overwhelming, knowing that, you know, the loans you get are building interest. When you get out of school, you'll need to start paying on them. Um, but yeah, I, I did loans for financial aid. And then now, have you was, started paying on your student loans? I have, sadly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have. And yeah. I mean, thank, another issue, thank you. But goodness, you're living. Like I'm you're, living. It's not. But I'm living because right now they have the program that allows you to pay based on your income. Yeah. Yes. But that is now in jeopardy. Yeah. The income-based repayment program. Yes. Yes. It's in jeopardy. So... Who knows? You know, well, thank goodness I'm going back to school so I get to take a break. But if not, then, you know, that could skyrocket and I really may not be able to afford it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just a possibility for for Mm -hmm. some folks. 
But if you then go on to medical school, they have tons of repayment yes, programs. For now, they do. Yes. Come on. <laughs> it's, Don't it's, make me cry. It's just like, I, who knows what's going to happen, right? I mean, school debt is real. You know, there are a lot of people out here. I have friends, you know, who have thousands of dollars of debt. I know at least when I was growing up, that was honestly one of the last things I was kind of thinking about. Because it's like, you know, you're going to, I'm going to have to get a loan. At least in in my situation, I was going to mm-hmm. have to get a loan. And you know what? I plan on paying them back regardless of what happens. You know, I'm okay with that. So taking a loan wasn't a big deal. And knowing that, you know, they have plans that go based on your income. It's like, okay, well, you know what? I could survive. But now it's like, okay, you're going to Duke. That's not the cheapest school to go to. It's <laughs> yeah. not the cheapest school to go to. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, am I going to sacrifice my education and my advancement because? Well, it's the return on investment. Yes. So how much money you'll actually put into Duke? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure, assuming you have financial aid, like yes. scholarships. And so it's like if, if you put in 15 grand to a graduate degree at Duke, mm-hmm. That's going to transfer into a right. salary of 80 grand or mm-hmm. then it leads you to medical school. And now you're having a salary of 150. Right. And, and paying it. And of course, then it's like no big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then we have some people who go into the public sector. I have friends, you know, me who included. Yes, right. <laughs> Where they're like, yeah, we want you to pay four hundred dollars a month. People are like, but that's yeah. like my paycheck. I don't yeah. Know. What am I? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm on the student repayment, student debt repayment plan for mm-hmm. um, in, uh, people who work in nonprofits. So that's okay. higher education, uh-huh. um, city, government, yeah. n- any nonprofit. And is that where like after 10 years, is that that point? Or is 20, that point? 10 think, or tw- 20. I think the private is 20. Okay. Private is 20 and public sector is 10 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's tons of different ways right. to yeah to get it help to help you pay for it. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bummer. Gonna, <laughs> getting the budget passed is going to take some time. It is. So we're going to we look on the brighter side, okay? Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll get your policy degree right before, before they vote on the budget. <laughs> Blocks. And then you can, yeah, go undercover and make some changes oh. for sure. Now, when did it, like, did you know there was a difference between first generation and not? Like, when did hmm. you first hear that term? When did I first hear that term? I feel like it was in high school. Oh, you did? Okay. Um, high school, you know, maybe late high school when college started becoming a thing, you know, you go and talk to people that ask you, are you a first generation college student? And you're like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. are you the first in your family to go to college? Um, and, and I guess sometimes that's not something you think about but when they ask you that you're like, oh, you're right. Yeah, I am the first person in my family to go to college. Um, and for me, that was a big deal. You know, I have little brothers. I have a mom come from a single parent household. Going to college simply, even at community college or a four-year college, just going to college, period, was a big step. Mm-hmm. Now, when did you feel the difference? When did you experience the difference between first-gen and non-first-gen? I would say probably when I got here to NC State. Um, when I was at the community college, there were people of all ages, different backgrounds. I mean, just a spectrum of people in 
you know, there were some people that were older in their 50s and 60s, and this was their first time in school. So we were we all had that um, that common that common link. But mm-hmm. when I got to NC State, I mean, when you come here, everybody's around the same age for the most part. And a lot of people, their parents already went to college. They know what classes they need to take. They know what organizations they need to be a part of. Um, and little me, I'm just getting here like, oh, my God, there are so many opportunities. I don't know what to do. I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't have time for that. I want to get this degree. I want to get that degree. But you can't do that if you want to make it out of here in like two to three years. So what are you going to do? Um, So it was pretty scary at first. It took some time to get used to having so many resources available and then learning how to make those resources work in my favor more so. Um, And then just even being a transfer student, there were even less resources for me than there were for maybe, you know, first year students or even for, you know, college seniors more so. Um, But yeah, just trying to navigate. I say once I got to the four year institution, that's when. I realized, you know, being a first generation college student, I knew nothing about this college system or how to really navigate through it. Right. So what when you talked about the resources, mm-hmm. what were those resources? <sighs> resource such like, as um, you kind of like what are the most critical I was thinking is like the most critical resources that mm-hmm. you use, you know, that now you look back and say, wow. Yeah. I need, and even the people. Mm-hmm. I would say because. At the community college, we had advisors, but um, it was pretty, I said I didn't, I really didn't need them that much. It was, it was pretty set in stone what I needed to take for the most part. But when I got here, you know, you can kind of build your degree, you know, somewhat pick and choose classes and being on the pre-med route, I, I pr- pretty much knew what I needed to take. But having that advisor there who knew the resources that were around here, I would say that advisor was probably the most critical resource of it all. Um, and not only having one advisor, because you can have multiple advisors, right? Having a trio advisor, that's someone who knows your background as either a first-generation college student, you know, a low-income student. They know how to give you resources for, for things that may affect you in that type of way. And then you have your academic advisor who can help you with classes and help you maybe with summer programs. Um, and then, you know, you may have an, a research advisor, somebody who's helping you, you know, guide you in the research world, helping you navigate that. So I think it's just knowing or having those connections in the places that you want or the places that you need that help in and I guess in, in finding them and, and knowing how to use them. So using them on a regular basis um, and not being afraid to, I would say, be open and genuine. You can't really get too far if you're, you know, kind of stuck in your shell. You do have to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I have quite a few students who say they don't know how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Like they've never had somebody in their life to ask. Oh. So it's the first time yeah. and they've never done that before. I could see how that could definitely be an issue, especially somebody you don't know. <laughs> You're on a big campus and then you yeah. feel like any question that you ask could probably be a stupid question. Like, I yeah. should probably know this already. Yeah. And that's the two is like even what questions to ask. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, yeah, of coming to TRIO and we can help. You know, say, these are the questions you need to Yes, ask. and that was the great thing about TRIO. They understand that as a first-generation college student, you you probably don't know how to, you know, maneuver through this. Um, so they have people there to help you build those questions, help you build the skills to understand the questions that you're asking, and then even give you the skills to help answer some of the questions that you're asking. So having those connections is is very crucial. No, I'm going through the process of my son coming here next year 
and I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I work here. <laughs> I know. So sometimes I want to say, no, no, ask, because yes. nobody knows. Nobody. And it's too many things out here for, for one person to know every single thing that's going mm-hmm. on on campus. It's it's nearly impossible to, to, to be that well connected. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that are, but it's it's pretty hard. So, so being able to to talk to people, not being afraid to go out and do that um, and putting yourselves in, a, in an uncomfortable situation. Because did anybody on campus, when you asked for help, did they tell you to that you're stupid or get out of my office or? No, I've never had that happen. <laughs> and if so, they would have got reported. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mm, OK, thanks for letting me know that. No, I've yeah. never had that issue before. Everybody's mm-hmm. always been so helpful. Because um, that's why they're here. Right. Most of the times. Yeah. Is to be helpful. Exactly. Mm hmm. Yeah, especially in the sciences. Yes. Because they can have big time jobs. They don't need to be here, yes. you know, working with undergrads. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and especially if you're interested in the things that you're learning about, just go and talk to people. People love talking about either themselves or the stuff that they're working <laughs> on. That's what my professor told me. He yeah. said, if you ever want to get in good with somebody, just ask them about themselves. OK. And that'll open a door to a lot more conversations. And you'll probably find a lot of similarities between your stories. Yeah. Google their uh, name and find out what yes. awards they've won I've, or I've what research that. they've done. Yeah. Yes. And they love that. Oh, you okay? Yes, I did write that. <laughs> yeah, they exactly, that. exactly. The ego is a delicate thing. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you? How did you get into research, undergrad research? I've actually so before I even started college, I first when I first heard about NC State, and I got a little pamphlet, and they were talking about research, and I was like, "Ooh, research! Like, what is that? Like, I mean, you know, you." Think about research, you're thinking like some huge building, these chemicals, like nothing for a college student to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, I just really want to know what that means. So, you know, just reading more about it. And then once I finally got here, um, just kind of exploring, you know, going to different talks, seeing how exactly students are researching things, how they're getting those opportunities. Are they funded? Are they not funded, possibly? Um, so what talks did you go to? You said you... A lot of them, I would find them on boards. You know, mm-hmm. people probably don't use those anymore, <laughs> but they would have boards, you know, outside of classrooms. And then a lot of professors were very vocal about the things that were going on, at least in the science community. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very happy to, you know, let them know about lecture series that were going on, which I highly recommend going to. Um, those can definitely get you some points with your professor if you need it. Um, but they're also very um, knowledgeable. Well, they give you, provide you a lot of knowledge about something that a class topic that you may not know a lot about, but just hearing in, just hearing their presentation and how they're doing their research can help tie that information together for you. And it can really be something that saves your grade. You know, you may not have understood something in biochemistry, but after going to some lecture series about how they're using some type of assay to look at some type of protein in your brain and how it may help with your immune or something like that. And then during that presentation, it could click for you. And that could be the one thing that helps shape, save you on that test or on that topic that you weren't sure about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would go to lecture series um, and then I would just go to little random things, even if it didn't really relate to what I was studying. Um, if it sounded interesting, I would I would go to it. I was trying to learn just as much as possible around here. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think sometimes those talks demystifies it. Yeah. You know, you can say, oh, that's what they're doing. Yep. Like I've learned about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this is not a foreign thing to me anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, with your um, summer internships, that's a pretty competitive, or your summer research programs, mm-hmm. that's an extremely competitive yes. process of trying to get a paid summer research mm-hmm. position in the medical field. Yes. So how did you do it? <laughs> so <laughs> for, Which, what was the first one you went to? The first one. So the first summer program I did was at um, Columbia University at the Mailman School of Public Health. Um, and it's for biostatistics. Um, and I got to study patients who had left ventricular assistant devices. Um, basically, an LVAD, what it does is um, it basically reroutes the blood in your heart. If your heart doesn't pump as well, it reroutes that blood so it can supply the rest of your body. Um, and it does so using a motor. So we use biostatistics to just look at certain things or parameters that may cause patients to be readmitted back into the hospital. Um, so I got to work hand in hand with the cardiologist. I got to see an open heart surgery, got to see them implant an LVAD, and I got to spend the summer in New York, which I highly recommend to anybody, okay? <laughs> that was probably the best summer of my life, okay? Um, what can you tell you tell us about it? <laughs> oh, first of all, there are a lot of free things in New York you can do. Again, it's just putting yourself out on a limb, you know, to be uncomfortable and to experience something new. Just riding a bike through um, Central Park, um, going on different tours, experience different restaurants. Um, and then honestly, just being around a group of people who are different from me. The group of people that I work with all came from different backgrounds. Some of us, you know, come from low income families. Some of us come from middle class. Some of us, you know, not all of us wanted to be doctors. All of us, some of us just wanted to focus on public health. But what was great is that we had a common interest that brought us all there. And we were all willing to learn about each other. And, and we were very respectful of each other. And honestly, we all still speak to each other. We help each other. Matter of fact, we have we have reunions for the program when we're supposed to have a reunion um, in July that I'll be going to that they still invite us to. So making those connections, I say, probably was one of my favorite things with doing that program. Now, how did you afford to live in New York City? So the one great thing about this program is that they provided housing and they also prov- provided a stipend for you throughout the summer. And this ha- and the housing we stayed at the International House in New York and they provided you breakfast and dinner. All you had to do was get lunch when you were on campus, um, which was the best part. So there are a lot of, at least in the science field, I'm not sure of anywhere else, but there are a lot of opportunities, at least in the summer, to where you can have a paid opportunity. You know, it can be even international. I've had people who have friends who've been to South Africa on on paid trips. Um, so it's just about looking and getting those resources. And again, using that advisor, those advisors know that opportunity. And that's how I even learned about mine. She emailed me and told me about it. And first, honestly, I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to get it. But I still applied and, and I and I ended up getting it. And of course, in order to be in those competitive programs, you know, you do have to have good grades. Um, but at the same time, you have to be able to tell your story. Um, now, what was your GPA? What was good grades for me? So so when I first got to NC State, um, (laughs) it was a little rocky when I first got here. But I think my first year I may have I think I ended with the three point four or three point five my first year. Um, So that's what I would I mean, I would consider good, Mm -hmm. but it it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to be that, you know, some programs, as long as it's above a three point oh, you know, Mm -hmm. don't ever cut yourself off just because, you know, it says a three point and somebody's telling you. They have a 3.5 in their applying. Don't be discouraged. Still apply. Again, it's all about the overall 
person when you're applying. It's not just about your grades. It's not about just about your story, but it's about both of those. So again, being able to tell your story and having those good grades um, is what doing it. Then being able to relate any experiences that you've had throughout school to the experience that you want to have in that program. Mm hmm. And also recommendations. Yes, and recommendations as well. Again, keeping those connections. So when I first got to NC State, of course, I didn't really know any professors. So when I had to ask for recommendations, I had to ask for recommendations from people from or professors from my old school. So I made sure I kept in contact with them just in case I needed an aid. And they had no problem giving me those recommendations. But yes, Talking to your professor. Again, you don't have to talk to them every day. You know, just send them an email, update them on what you're doing. You know, if you see something, you see an interesting article. I've done, done this a few times. I've seen an interesting article that I know that me and my professor may have talked about or they talked about in class. I'll forward it to them, you know, just to keep that communication there. Yeah, but those references are very important. Right. Now, what did your mom think about you leaving? Well, are you thinking about leaving your younger brothers and your mom for the whole summer? So it wasn't like you could just drive back if something happened or. So that was that was actually like it was a bittersweet summer because I, I had to miss my brother's high school graduation because I couldn't afford to come back. So it was bittersweet. But my mom, I mean. I'm the oldest of of five siblings, um, and I've never been one to be afraid to kind of, you know, go off on their own. I ended up at NC State by myself um, and wasn't really afraid to do that. And my mom knows that, like, even as a kid, like, she's always been like, no, I've never just had to worry about him. Like, <laughs> he right. he's he's fine. So, you know, she knew that I was going to a good program. I let her know, you know, I gave her all the information that she needed, Um and me and my mom, we talk on a regular basis, so it's not like she was concerned or anything like that, but she was fine with it. Mm, and my brothers were good. really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want to see your success. Yes, mm-hmm. most definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you going out and doing new things. Mm-hmm helps them even with pride. Yes, definitely. Like, I feel like that I've seen it more so in my younger brother where he wants to go out and and not be stuck in the same environment in the, in the same place. And I think that was a, another great experience about being at that program that summer is just hearing everybody's story and about everything that they've done. It motivates you. Be like, man, like you've been out of the country. You worked on that. You worked on that. You're like, man, I want to get like I want to do all of this stuff. Right. So not. I know some people may get discouraged. At least I know a lot of pre-meds. Pre-meds are very competitive, (laughs) very competitive. So when you're, you know, talking about the things you've done, they're like, oh, man, I need to step my game up. But instead of seeing it as that, you know, use it as motivation. Like, that sounds like a really cool project. You know, maybe that's something that I could try. Or, you know, if you have an opportunity, you know, don't be afraid. Like, you know, how did you get involved in that? What did you have to do to do that? Um, Would you recommend the program? So, again, just being open, talking to people, being genuine about your interests and about your goals. I think people... People like seeing or meeting other genuine people who understand, you know, you may not necessarily know where you want to go, but just having the the energy and the motivation to get to that next step, I think, is what attract people to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Genuine motivation. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, even saying is, I think I want to do this, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about your path here? Yes. Can you tell me about what you do? So then that'll help me better make a decision yeah because nobody expects a 19 year old to know right to know want. everything yeah so it's like saying i think i like this maybe but i have no idea mm-hmm. you know tell me more about it yeah mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. definitely been a thing that i've seen and now 
gone through everything I've gone through, I'm definitely not afraid to say that. When it comes to not knowing anything, oh, I don't know. I'm very quick to say that, but I'm willing to learn about it, you know? Let me mm-hmm. know about it. Mm-hmm. Not afraid at all to do that. Yeah, it's not saying I don't know. It's saying I want to learn more about that. Yes, that's totally, the biggest yeah, thing. Totally different. Thank you for joining Jamal and I on Beyond the Bell Tower. Keep listening to the second part of our conversation in the next episode. TRIO Student Support Services Program and Student Support Services STEM are federally funded college retention and completion programs. These programs focus on academic, personal, and career support for under-resourced undergraduate students. At TRIO SSS and SSS STEM, our goal is helping our students reach their goals. We are currently accepting new students to our program. Apply today. Go to www.ncsu.edu to learn more about Student Support Services at NC State.